The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Amen. Last week we were looking at the fruit of the Spirit and we noticed this, that the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces is good fruit. It's good fruit. Galatians 5 verse 22 and 23 where it talks about this, it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. We can see from what we've just read there that the result of having the Holy Spirit in us is the production of these things. That is, when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and to do his work through us, then the different facets of this fruit are produced in our life. And it's good fruit. It's the sort of fruit that we all want, not only to experience for ourselves, but we want our lives to be loaded with this. So that as others, those who are around us, our friends, our neighbors, those people that we have dealings with, those people also experience the result of this fruit as it flows out of our lives. It's very positive. It's the sort of thing that actually, you know, if we were to ask people, would you like to see more of this fruit in the world today? Then I think people would turn around and say, yes, we do. This is what the world needs. It needs more of this. The fruit that the Holy Spirit produces is good fruit. So we started on that last week, but I want to continue a little bit this week, again looking under three headings. The first heading is this two kingdoms, one decision. And again, we touched on this a little bit last week. Here we are living in this world as Christians, and we're living in a world that is ruled by the evil one. 1 John 5.19 says this, we know that we are children of God, praise God, And that the whole world, it says, is under the control of the evil one. And this is a challenge that we have. We're physically living in one kingdom when we actually belong to another. We're physically living in one kingdom when we actually belong to another. Let me just take you to a scene where Jesus was with Pilate. Uh, John 18, verses 33 and 36. Pilate summons Jesus, uh, verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Because this was being raised against him. Are you the king of the Jews? So Pilate is now asking Jesus that question. And Jesus, this is the answer he gives in verse 36. Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And you see, what Jesus was talking about is exactly this experience that we're going through as Christians. Here was Jesus, the Son of God. He is living on this earth, and he, as the king of the Jews, is seeking to bring his kingdom in. And yet he's saying, here I am on earth, but my kingdom is not of this place. My kingdom is, is in effect, he's saying, my kingdom is greater than this place. 
But that's what we are doing. We're physically living in one kingdom when we actually belong to another. And therefore, for the Christian, there is this battle between two natures. On the one hand, there is the sinful nature dictated by the powers of darkness... And on the other hand, there's the Holy Spirit nature. And the Holy Spirit is also wanting to encourage us and to to lead us into the ways of God. And we need to make a decision. A decision needs to be made for us to be committed to following the way of the Holy Spirit. As we do that, the values of God's kingdom shine forth in our lives. We walk in the way that people around us will be able to see the results of God. It's as we walk in the Holy Spirit, as we walk with the fruit of the Holy Spirit being produced in our lives, then, if you like, it almost gives the reality of God for others to see, to taste, to experience as they're doing life around us. And as they do that, then our hope is that we may be able to present the gospel to them and tell them of what has happened to us so that they also may enter God's kingdom alongside of us. So we have the fruit of the Spirit produced in us, but for that fruit to be produced in us, it requires us to walk the Holy Spirit's pathway. Well, here's a question. Which kingdom are you living for? What fruit is being exhibited in your life? Is it the fruit? Can you see it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Or do you see the fruit of the sinful nature being produced? We need to make a clear decision that we are here for the kingdom of God. There are two kingdoms and there is one decision for us to be made. So when we make that clear decision, yes, I want to live for the kingdom of God. That's how I want to live. Then that will lead us to answering what would be my second point, how and when. How will this fruit that we've been talking about, this fruit of the Holy Spirit, how will that fruit be produced in my life? And not only how, when is it going to be produced? Because we want it. We know that it's the Holy Spirit who produces the fruit. And listen to that. It's the Holy Spirit who produces the fruit, but he's doing it in us. It's not us that is producing the fruit. And we want that fruit to be produced. So we obviously come to the question, we say, well, when's it all going to take place? How is it all going to happen? And I think those are very sensible questions to ask. And they're sensible questions for us to be seeking answers to. So there is a sense, as far as I'm concerned anyway, where I'd say, okay, Holy Spirit, get on with it. You just get on with doing what you need to do. Get on with what you need to do. Here I am. I'm ready for you to produce your fruit in my life. Here I am waiting for you to do that. But as I say it like that, I don't know whether you can hear it, but there is a tone in that. It doesn't sound quite right, does it? It's all about like, come on, you do it. Now, quickly, quickly. I I want this done. Because there is a sense in which... I want to be in control. I need this. I can see that that's good. I want that in my life. Right, so can I organize that to have that? And It's not about me. Apart from the fact it's my body, my life that I want the Holy Spirit to come in. It's allowing him to do what he wants to do in me. And you know what? That is a bit of a problem. I find it a problem I'm sure that we all find it a bit of a problem. Because giving him the space, allowing him to do just whatever he wants to do, doesn't necessarily fit in with my own view, my selfishness, my personal way of looking at things. 
He wants time. He wants space. He wants the freedom to do just whatever he wants to do. And I keep trying to dictate the terms of my life and allow him to do this or do that. And it doesn't work like that. The Holy Spirit simply wants me to trust him. To trust him to do exactly what is necessary. To trust him to do exactly what he has said he will do. So trust is the key. But if I'm honest, I guess if we're all honest, trusting is the problem that we also have. To trust means that I am handing control, all control, over to the Holy Spirit and letting him have free reign in my life to accomplish exactly what he wants to do. So there's another question. Are you, am I, ready to do that? In 1980, which I'm sure for most of you will seem like a long while ago, because it is quite a while ago, 1980, I met a beautiful young lady called Helen. Helen was worried. I was going to say something else, but no. (laughs) I met a beautiful young lady called Helen. And when we met, it was a case of like, well, it was a case of love at first sight, obviously. Actually, it wasn't quite, but that's another story. Um, When we met... There was this, in my own heart, there was this sense in which, like, look, I don't want a casual relationship here. I want, where's this relationship going? I want this relationship to go somewhere. So I, I explained that to Helen somewhat embarrassingly. Because I was thinking, like, well, we, if we're going to go out together, we need to think in terms of getting married. And the context of that is that ha- we had only just met. So that was a little bit uh, <laughs> challenging at that point, okay? But coming to that point, having said those things, and thinking okay, we're going to get married. Nevertheless, as those of you who have been in this situation will know, you do go through certain thoughts in your mind. And the thoughts for me at this time, or the hesitancy, it wasn't anything to do with, do I love Helen? I loved Helen then, and I love her even more now. I knew that I loved her, but is it going to be all right? Is this marriage going to last? Is this the right thing to do? Is this the right woman? Is she really the one for me? I think it is, but I don't... You know the sort of thing I mean? So you have a sense of assurance, and yet at the same time, you're loaded with questions that are trying to demand answers which you cannot answer. Anyway, in the midst of this, I said to Helen, we must have been talking one night, you know, about this, and I said, oh, if only an angel would come and tell me, then everything would be all right. Have you been in that situation where you're saying like, oh my goodness, what is the other? Sometimes it's angels, sometimes we're just calling upon God. Anyway, a couple of days later, this letter arrived in the post, addressed to me at my parents' house where I was living, and this letter said this, will three be enough? And there's a picture of three cherubs or three angels, nothing else. Nothing else. I found this letter, as you can see, this week. So that's what prompted me to give this as an example. Will three be enough? It's almost as though, like, okay, for goodness sake. This was Helen, obviously, saying it. I believe it's Helen who wrote this. <laughs> because this could really have come directly from an angel. But Will three be enough? Is this enough to convince you that it's going to be all right? That the issue that I was dealing with was that of trust. We don't know what is lying ahead. But we want to know because we want to be assured. We want to control. We want to hold everything. Look, that's what the situation was with our relationship. 
But that same type of process is going through all sorts of things. Is this the right job for me? What if it's not? Is it going to work out all right? How are things going to work out? Is this the house I should buy? Is this the school I should go to? Are these the exams I should take? Is this the career path that is right for me? Am I the only one who asks these questions? Or is this something that we all tend to go through? And the thing is, we want to know before we make any steps that this is right. That this is the way. And you know what? As Christians, we have a shepherd who has said, I'll tell you what, I'll lead you. But you see, when you think of it like that, you think, okay, that's great. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saying you're going to lead me. Can you tell me now exactly where we're going? Can you tell me if this is the right decision? And sometimes, more often than not, it would seem, the shepherd doesn't speak back at that time. Because what the shepherd wants is he wants you to trust in him. He's looking for faith. What it says in Hebrews, 6, Hebrews 11 verse 6 is this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But everyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. That's what it says. And he wants us to trust. And here we are in the midst of all sorts of things. You know, like sometimes it's about a job situation. I've got two jobs. Which one should I go for? There you go. You see, that's, that's, that's Dan. He's obviously got that one. Now let me ask you, who's moving house? Come on, let's just go through the... No. The stuff that we're going through, I want to know now. I wanted to know that in five years' time, that I could look in five years in the future to this girl that I was going to marry, this... Helen that I had, was my fiancé, that's the word I'm trying to think of at that point. I wanted to know that in five years' time, there we were, we were going to be married, we were going to be celebrating our anniversary, everything's all right. Because you see, the pressure of the world around us is that says, it may not be. You can't necessarily trust this. How do you know? The answer is, I don't know, but I'm going to put my hand in the hand of the man who can lead me. That is what this is about. And if we, now hang on, how have I got to this when I'm talking about fruit of the Holy Spirit? I've got to this because this is what it takes to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. Because otherwise, we're in a place where we want to remain in control. Holy Spirit, I don't like the idea of that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to worship that. I don't want to read that. I want to do what I want to do. We're living in this kingdom, it's two kingdoms. We're living in this world. But our kingdom is a kingdom who is beyond this world. The kingdom of God is what we're living for. And we have to remember, we're subject to this world. All the pressures, all the things that it's saying to us. But we want to be living for another kingdom. And that takes trust for us. Are we ready to simply trust God and to believe in him? And I know I've talked about these two natures, the sin nature and the Holy Spirit nature. But let me just remind you what Paul, Paul's encouragement, which he looked at briefly last week. Romans 8, verses 12 to 14, where he says this. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. I've got no obligation, but more often than not, my mind says, yeah, that's the way I want to go. I'm just pointing that out. I have no obligation... But often, I decide to do it anyway. 
For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But, but if through the power of the Holy Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Paul is reminding us that you don't have to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You don't have to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can put to death those things, those deeds of the sinful nature, and we can be led by the Holy Spirit. This is truth. But it doesn't just happen automatically. It happens when our response to the Holy Spirit is willing and open. And you know what? There can be three responses that we give to the Holy Spirit, which I'm just going to finally look at now. We can, well, the three responses are grieving, resisting, or embracing. Grieving, resisting, or embracing. Grieving. Grieving is this. It's to feel great grief or sorrow. And you know what? Our actions can lead us to cause great grief or sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Let me read from Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32, where Paul says this, Therefore... Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He who has begun a good work in you shall carry it on to completion. So here we see Paul talking to the Ephesian church and the Ephesian Christians. I think he's talking about something that I'm similar to what I'm talking about. Because he's trying to show them, look, you're dealing with these pressures. You're dealing with these kingdoms. And actually, I've got to encourage you Look, you've got to put off some of that stuff. You've got to put off all of this falsehood. You've got to start speaking truthfully with one another. You've got to be honest. You've got to be real. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. He's coming in and out of these things. He says to them, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Because what he's really saying is that type of behavior is grieving the Holy Spirit. It causes him sorrow. It causes him pain. It causes him not to disappear, but it causes him to withdraw. Or not to be able to do. It becomes a hindrance to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Because we are opening ourselves up to the things of another kingdom. The things of which are not the kingdom of God. And that's why he's saying, look, you've got to get rid of bitterness and rage. There's no point in saying like, do you know what? It's just part of me. It's just the way I've been. Hey, look, my mum, you should have seen her. She was like that. I've inherited it. That's how I am. No. What you are saying is, it's okay for me to live in the sinful nature, and I'll just attach that now to a familiar spirit. We're living in a different kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world, said the one who was the king of the Jews. 
who could have said, yes, I am king of the Jews and my kingdom is here. No, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a bigger kingdom. This is it. It's an everlasting kingdom and it's the only kingdom that will last. You hear that? It's the only kingdom that will last. Because every other kingdom is going to be brought down when, as we saw last week, every knee will bow before the king of kings. So we have the situation where we can grieve the Holy Spirit because we know what we're doing and we know that behavior is wrong. Sometimes we don't know how to get out of it. That's because there's the necessity for us to repent, for us to come under the authority of the Holy Spirit, to allow him See, now when you get to this, the reality of this, and you actually work it through in your life, there are moments when this is happening, and I tell you what, there is a war going on inside of you. I don't want to do, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I don't, I don't, I know the right way to go, but my heart keeps telling me to go the other way. That's, there's a battle, the reality of that battle, and the surrender to Jesus is a real thing that is necessary for us to come to terms with. Let me ask you a question. Are there ways that you are walking in where you are grieving the Holy Spirit? Don't feel you're the only one, okay? Are there ways that we are walking in? There are, unfortunately, there's many ways. The Holy Spirit will bring to each of us the, well, okay, the first one on the list that he wants us to deal with. That's the truth. So let him bring that voice to you and take note of it because we need to confess of these things, repent of them. And don't forget repentance, true repentance means this, never doing that thing again. True repentance means we never return to that behavior again. Grieving is one thing, resisting is another. Resisting means this, to withstand, to strive against, or to oppose. To withstand, to strive against, or to oppose. And we looked at the scripture last week, Acts 7.51, where Stephen is saying to the Jewish leaders there, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised, you are just like your ancestors, you always resist the Holy Spirit. To withstand, to strive against, or oppose. I'm a Christian, I'm not going to do that because the Holy Spirit is my friend. Wake up. Wake up everybody and do not live under the teaching that has brought us to the place where we are right now without the power of God, without the presence of God. A form of godliness, but denying his power. We're not looking at what history has done. Right now we're here as a people living for the kingdom of God or seeking to live for the kingdom of God. God, how do you want to lead us so that we can accomplish the things of your kingdom? How do you want to guide us so that the fruit that we're reading about is being produced in our lives? That it's a reality. That everyone can see it. Look, there's backbiting, there's talking against, there's disappointments, there's frustrations that come in the church let alone outside. But what's supposed to be like in the church? It's supposed to be a place that is full of the presence of God. And what is he like? He is loving. He is compassionate. He is forgiving. Which is why all of that fruit that the Spirit produces is just the character of God being produced amongst us. 
I'm not here condemning, I'm here bringing reality to us. I'm not here looking at any one person because I am as much to blame as any one of you. I'm here standing before you to say, it is time for us to return to the Lord. And to seek his face until he comes and rains down righteousness upon us. Because without him, we are as nothing. But with him, we are everything. It is possible for us as Christians, professing all sorts of things, declaring all sorts of biblical scriptures, still to be able to resist the Holy Spirit, to stand against him, to oppose him. And obviously, when that happens within us, the Holy Spirit can't. He can't. I'd like to, but I can't because of the behavior, because of the attitude of what is going on around me. We do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We do not want to resist the Holy Spirit. But finally, we want to embrace the Holy Spirit. What is embracing? To take or to receive gladly or eagerly, accept willingly. He will guide me. He will lead me. And walking in the Holy Spirit's way means that we are trusting in Him that even though we don't know what the future is going to bring, we know that God is good and that He is for us, not against us. We're trusting in Him because He knows the way that we need to go in. We're trusting in Him because He is the one who, the only one who knows the end from the beginning. He is the only one who knows the end from the beginning and knows how we can get there. So he knows the route that any one of us needs to take. He is that person. He can lead us and he can guide us. And you know what? When you go to the scriptures and you start reading the scriptures, you actually start to read that this God, whom we are, who is asking us to trust in him, he actually has quite a good record. Actually, that's ridiculous. He doesn't have quite a good record. He has an incredible record of being able to do just exactly what he said he could do. And he has a record of being able to do far abundantly above anything that human beings can think of. There is Israel locked in Egypt. They are enslavement. And God says, I'm sending my man to bring them out. And he utterly crushes the most powerful nation in the world through natural things to enable his people to come out and they plunder the Egyptians as they come out. And oh my goodness, now they can't get across the Red Sea. Stretch out your rod, Moses, and I will make a way where there seems to be no way. He has a great track record, but we have to trust in him. I was asking for an angel to come and say, is it going to be okay? Now I know we live day by day, and like 41 years later, we're still married. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But the thing is, we have to trust him when we don't know what the future is. Every day. I want to ask you. This is not just about reviving our hearts. Will we decide whatever it takes to trust in him and to keep looking to him? You can't trust in somebody you don't know. So you've got to give yourself some time to get to know him. You've got to bring yourself to him. You know the stuff. I don't need to talk to you about the stuff that's wrong in your lives. My goodness, you know it already. You're dealing with it. You're struggling with it. And he knows it already. But he's waiting for you to come and to surrender 
and to say, Lord, I can't cope with this any longer. I truly am a wretched man, just as Paul was. But I'm asking you to come. And he's asking us in the midst of that, not just to pray the words, but to believe that he is able to do what he has said he will do, which is deliver us and to take us into the fullness of his promises, where he is going to give us hope and a future, because that is always what he has his plans for us. If we want to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Folks, it's not an automatic. I'm a Christian, I'm going to have fruit. It's not an automatic. It takes surrender. It takes trust. It takes believing that he who is the one who is above every other can lead us in the way that we should go. And when we allow him to lead, he produces his fruit in our lives. And everyone can see it. You know, like, I, sorry, I'm coming to an end here, but this has just come to my mind. I thought this week of something. It, when you see something, sometimes you see these reality TV programs where people go through training or um, all sorts of things. They come out, you know, oh, that was fantastic. And some of them are changed by it, and some of them have been through it. I can't give you an immediate example. But some people are transformed, and you can see there is a fruit of them having been through the program of discipline that they have been through. So I've seen the program SAS uh, struggling and people, some people make it right the way through, SAS training, some people make it right the way through, lots of people drop out on the way. But you see some people are being transformed. Their, their lives are being opened up, they're dealing with issues in their lives, and the whole experience in the end produces a new fruit in their lives, and it's obvious. When we spend time with the Holy Spirit, it's not just about the person. It becomes obvious to others. They see the fruit. So if we're thinking, like, have many people been saying, and by the way, nobody has said to me recently, I've seen a lot of fruit coming from your life, okay? So let's just put ourselves on an even keel here. You see the fruit. Other people see the fruit. We want it, and we're proud of it, or we're hoping for it, other people see the fruit in you. So it's not until other people are saying, I can see that God's been doing something in you, that really something is moving. Now that's a challenge. I find that a challenge. But let's give ourselves to God and allow him to do his work so that the fruit that only he can produce is being seen by others and affects others because then that's true testimony, not to us. Is true testimony to what he can do in and through us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.